You are listening to the Jesus Teacher Me podcast. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode, episode 25. So look at one of Bonhoeffer's sermons about Mary and uh, one of her famous songs, the Magnificat. Hope that you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back again, everyone, to another edition, another installment of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me. My name is Tyler. I get to serve as the associate pastor at Family of God, and across from me is our senior pastor, uh, Pastor Hill. And we are almost, almost at Christmas. A week from tomorrow is Christmas Eve uh, at the time of recording. And when you hopefully listen to this, it will be a week uh, until Christmas. So now uh, we've been kind of going through some of uh, Dietrich's uh, Advent sermons. And last week we talked about um, this concept of being rescued. Oh, come O rescuer was the name of the uh, was the name of the of the text or of the of the sermon. And this week we're uh, going to be jumping. This is a sermon that he preached at the same place in London, um, quite literally two weeks later. So, Uh, This sermon that Dietrich uses is called My Spirit Rejoices. And again, December 17th, 1933, third Sunday in Advent. And of course, as we are approaching the fourth Sunday in Advent, as we're looking at the visitation when uh, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, um, it is fitting that we chose this text, I think, for for today's episode, um, because Dietrich really highlights the, the Magnificat. And Dietrich has some really good things to say. I think we're going to touch on Luther a little bit as well. Um, just so many things about who Mary is, why this is important, why it's important to understand that Mary, the Virgin Mary, gives birth to Jesus and her response to that. Um, so why don't you read the first two sentences of the sermon to introduce? Yeah, of the, of the actual sermon? Yeah. So again, the text is is Luke uh, 1, 46 to 55, and I think we're, we'll read that later, but we're going to start. We'll start with these first couple sentences uh, in the sermon. So Dietrich writes this. He says, the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. I love that. It is also the most passionate, the wildest, and one might say the most revolutionary Advent hymn that has ever been sung. Yeah, revolutionary and Advent, that's not two words no. you see linked together <laughs> right. very often. No, that's, um, it's, it's perfect actually, I think, because I've actually, until we started preparing for this, I've never really thought of the Magnificat as an Advent hymn. Um, even though clearly, I mean, this is before this is bef- she sings this before Jesus comes. Um, I mean, it, it literally is an Advent song. Um, I've just never really thought of it that way, and that's that's a great that's a great way to look at it. The oldest hymn and a revolutionary Advent hymn. Yes. Yeah, so here's the text. Do you want to read it? Or you want me to read it? Go ahead. Um, so Mary says again. This is Luke 46. Or sorry, Luke 1:46. Mary says, "My soul magnifies the Lord." And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. And surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. And he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Yeah, so when he says revolutionary, I'm just going to have you reread part of this, uh, where he starts with with where he says, scattered the proud. He has scattered the proud in in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty. Yeah. This is called, um, I don't think he actually says that here, but um, it's called a, the great reversal. Um, it's, a, it's a scriptural theme. So everything that, that is, in quotes, norm, normative, is going to be turned inside out by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And first will be last, the last will be first. Mm-hmm. It's the, like the shorthand version of that. But God God tends to do things in the, the ways that we don't l- expect him to do that. And I think that's the definitely that's a theme that carries 
here carries throughout, yeah, like you said, throughout Scripture. Um, it's just God doing things in very unorthodox ways, ways that, well, I mean, if you've ever questioned, God, why'd you do it this way? God, why why didn't you do it this way? God, Not I really, today. I really thought, I really <laughs> thought, God, that you were going to do this this way. And God says, "No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna destroy your enemies uh, with with us. I mean, He certainly does, but I'm not gonna overthrow Rome just with power and might. I'm gonna overthrow and, and destroy your enemies by having my son killed." So maybe the uh, and the maybe the prototypical, at least one of them, of the uh, parables that shows the great reversal would be Lazarus and the rich man. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too. One guy has everything. And then he has, the other guy has nothing. Well, he has sores. Worse than nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, God reverses all of that. And uh, and then the man who was first is now in uh, in hell looking up and begging for a drop of water. Mm-hmm. That's a great reversal. Yeah. But uh, another example of that would be John the Baptist when he sends his disciples to to Jesus to find out if he's are you the one I guess is maybe how to say that and uh, Jesus tells them to look around and he says the blind see okay that's mm-hmm. a reversal right yep the lame walk the deaf hear and the dead are raised so each of those is is a reversal of uh, especially death to life is a reversal mm-hmm. of, of what the world would say is not a changeable situation. So revolutionary. And then he says, third, third sentence, this is not hmm. the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary as we often see her portrayed in paintings. As I read that, I thought of Mary, do you know? Yeah, did Mary, you know? did you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Mary who is speaking here is passionate, carried away, proud, enthusiastic. And that made me think of a comparison of the Marys we see <laughs> yeah. to, uh, you know, Mary, uh, mild and sweet, holding the little baby, and Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> yeah. How about a, sorry, what a great reversal, right? You got the, yeah, the, uh, the Mary that I think we see. Well, and I remember, I remember when I, was a, when I was a kid and we had all these Christmas pageants, right? And Mary is usually, is the sweet, is like the sweetest, most innocent looking uh, young young lady that um, yeah and she's just she's just gazing into the manger with her baby and like just oh this is such a wonderful and, yeah sweet right expression. yeah this is yeah. such a wonderful moment a precious well and it says you know in in Luke says and Mary pondered or tr- you know, these things in her heart and you just kind of think oh she's just you know she's just sitting there and she's just you know thinking she's just often often um, in her dreams just want you know just meditating on all of these wonderful things and. And Dietrich portrays this in a very yeah, different like way. You don't look at Mary uh, next to the manger thinking, man, the revolution has started. Right. <laughs> no, we don't think like that. Uh, and then he says that her voice, uh, and of course it's the Holy Spirit speaking through her, uh, follows that of other uh, prophetic women in the Old Testament. Wait a minute, Mary's a prophet? Hmm. But her words are prophetic, right? Mm-hmm. Deborah, Judith, Miriam. I read all those songs. Uh, man, Deborah's is so bloody. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, say Deborah's. Deborah's is. Uh, y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember De- for those of you that maybe be drawing like Deborah is the one who uh, drove the stake through. Mm-hmm. The, no, not her. She. Um, yeah, but she in her song uh, memorializes and glorifies the woman who did. Yes. But if you look, look, if we were to compare, and I'm going to flip to the Bible. He didn't mention it there, but he does later. Hannah's song. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah's song echoes, well, Mary's song echoes Hannah's, however you want to say that. Um, the great reversal, she she says, Hannah. Hannah is the mother of Samuel. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave. He raises up. He sends poverty and wealth. He humbles. He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. See, that's that great reversal again. Mm-hmm. So the theme of the revolution is, and that's really the theme of a sermon too, 
is how comfortable God is reaching down into our what? Into our messes. Our loneliness. Our loneliness. loneliness. Lowly, loneliness. Not loneliness. Loneliness. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's precisely why we talked why we picked Mary, and we talked about this last night at, at Bible study. You know, with with the guys who are, uh, for lack of a better term, lowly in in of themselves, and you know, God choosing Mary. God, and I think Dietrich actually is it Dietrich, or maybe it's not Dietrich, or it's Luther. Um, actually, I think it might be Luther. They talk about how, you know, Nazareth was not the, not the ideal town, this little podunk town, small town, nothing. It's not even mentioned in Scripture amongst the list of all the towns right. of Israel, not right. Nazareth, not mentioned. Right. So it's like living somewhere and you look on the map and it's not there. Right. Right. I think of uh, there's a there's a small town up north <laughs> that that the only reason that that we know that we know it is because we got lost going going up north and we ended up going through this place called Fruitport. Had no idea that, that this place even existed until we ended up there by accident. But yeah, so there's nothing there's nothing special about Nazareth. And then there's nothing special about the woman in Nazareth that Gabriel comes to see. And I think and I think and more than I'm thinking about, it, I think it's Luther talks about how there's you mean to tell me that there's not a better city like Nazareth, there's other cities that are more prestigious, more pristine, more better than Nazareth. And then, if we even further that point, there's there there's got to there had to have been other women in the city of Nazareth that would have had more significance, that would have been better suited for this than Mary. But when but when then, you, then how could Nathaniel say? anything good come well, out true, of Nazareth. True, but the, the, yeah. the, the point being is that Mary is like, she's the lowliest of, of the lowly in the lowliest of the lowliest cities. And it's just, this is where God works best. And I think that that is exactly why he chooses Mary and, rec- and Mary recognizes this in faith yeah. that she is blessed. So all of that is true, but you know, I reminded Tyler yesterday, but she had something nobody else in the universe had, and that's she had the heritage mm-hmm. that God. This woman was chosen before the foundation of the world, so right. and so even if she wasn't aware of of, the, of her heritage, she was uh, uniquely qualified to uh, bear Jesus as Jesus as the son of David. Mm-hmm. Um, so. He picks, he says here, uh, God in the midst of lowliness, lowliness, that is the revolutionary, passionate word of Advent. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be passionate, at least not in that sense, passionate or revolutionary about Christmas nowadays, do they? Right. I want to be comforted. Mm -hmm. I want to... uh, what, what did they say about Scrooge? He kept Christmas in his heart all year long. Yeah. It wasn't a passionate, revolutionary uh, Christmas that he kept. It was something altogether different. Right. And he also says here, when we begin to get our minds around that this passionate, uh, revolutionary Advent, it's something that outrages our senses, and uh, uh, we want to rebel from it, and kind of keep it at a distance mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, and in quotes, normal people don't want to hear that uh, God's going to exalt the humble. <laughs> no, no, they do not. Because what about By me? By the way, neither does Bill Gates. But <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, ain't that the truth? Yeah, well, I think that's, that's because, well, I don't want to hear that God is going to exalt the humble because that's not me. I, I don't I don't want to be I want people to know the things that I've done. I want people to be proud and and honor me for the things that I've done. I want to be somebody. I want to I want to ha- be recognized. And if God is gonna re- is God is gonna exalt those that don't want to be recognized, or in Mary's case, um, before she became the mother of God and the mother of the church, she was she was a nobody. And God. God loves the lowly. This is, I think, yeah, Dietrich says this in his sermon too, right before he says um, that the revolutionary passion word of Advent, he says that God loves the lowly. Um, 
where our, our understanding is outrage, where our nature rebels, where our piety anxiously keeps us in distance. This is exactly where God loves to be, is with these people that that don't think of themselves, that don't think that anything special can come from them, um, that are humbled by life in general. You know, a little while ago we talked about the great reversal. So um, there's also a thing called the social gospel, which heads into into heretical territory. Um, but yes, God exalts the humble, but he didn't come to exalt the humble. Right. Um, and certainly problem with the social gospel is exalting the humble, taking care of the poor, doing all the things that they uh, do, and in some places like in South America, even revolutionary things, um, it comes at the expense of the gospel. If we're only focusing on righting all the wrongs on you know, planet Earth, our neighborhood, our, our little village, um, and we've missed We've missed the most important thing of all. So we kind of see that at Family of God, right? It would hmm. be so easy to just be a soup kitchen. Yeah. But. But that's, uh, and we've, I don't know if you've mentioned this before. Um, and I hate it when people call us a soup kitchen. Yeah, well, however, uh, being called a soup kitchen and hiding under the, <laughs> the title of soup kitchen protects us in these COVID restrictions. That's so, um, so yeah, we, I guess we don't mind that at those times. At this time. Right, but Family of God is, is so much more than just a soup kitchen. And certainly we serve food every day as a soup kitchen does. We have, we have people that from all over the neighborhood that come to be fed there and rely on Family of God for food every single day. But as I've said before, I know I've said this in presentations. I know I've said this in sermons. If if our people come to Family of God and they receive, because when I mean, because we also have you know different, we have really nice coats that people have donated to give out, and um, you know things like that. And so people can come to Family of God to get these physical things, these physical needs met. But if they have a five star meal, if they have you know a North Face jacket. And they've got, you know, Ugg boots. They've got all these hand warmers, warmers, all these things that keep them warm, all these things that keep them, that keep them hungry or keep them, um, keep them satisfied. And, but they don't know Jesus. They don't hear the gospel. None of those things mean anything. It's worse than that. It means we've failed. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you will have died like the rich man having everything. But you won't have heard the gospel, or you won't have come to know the gospel, and and you're gonna be you're gonna be wishing that you had, and that's on us to make sure that we are faithfully teaching God's word, that our volunteers are are coming, and and that not only are they are they serving, but they're also they're also speaking and spending time and showing and and being. We talk about being the feet, the hands and feet of Jesus, um, but it's so much more than just than just serving. It's actually making sure that they hear the good news, touch the good news, wouldn't experience the good news because they, our people can. The, the reality for our, our people in our neighborhood, and I've been told this by other people in our neighborhood, there are places all over the neighborhood that do exactly what we do as far as clothing and feeding. Right there. All Saints used to do this really, really well, right? But All Saints would not, essentially, it was like, get you get your food and then, okay, we'll, we'll see you next time. It, there was no gospel connection. There was no relationship building. There was nothing outside of just having your physical needs met. And there were probably so many people that went to, went to this place, had a really nice meal, but are nowhere, but have no idea who Jesus is or why anybody's doing anything. And at that point, you failed in your mission. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And as tough as that is to... You were allowed in... shouldn't pick on them, but yeah, you're allowed in the church basement for meals, but please don't come upstairs for worship later on for right. mass. Right. <laughs> yeah, because we don't we don't want to... We don't, we don't want to scare people off. We don't want... Um, we don't want to deal with you. We don't want any of these things. And it's just... It's a sad reality that... Um, I think we've actually unintentionally gone into the same reason why I don't like most mission trips <laughs> because, Oh, we're going to go to Mexico and build a school. Okay. Did, 
did people hear about Jesus? Well, we build a school. Okay. Like, I think you said this. There was a couple of, how long ago was it when somebody came to Detroit and they, they built, like, basketball courts and a house or something like that, right? And then within, like, two weeks after the people left, like, the basketball courts trashed. were, yeah, were trashed, defaced. All the windows had been broken out of this new house that they had built. So, like, you put all this effort into providing things for a neighborhood, but you haven't actually done anything. And that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's the reality. And that's why I used to, I got, I got in trouble one time, <laughs> one time, um, because on a mission trip, it was a construction based mission trip. And I don't think I, well, there was, there's one or two days where I didn't pick up a saw. I didn't pick up a hammer because I was talking with the family and the neighbors. I was just walking around <laughs> with, with some, with some other people getting, getting to know people's stories. And one of our volunteers, he wasn't from our group. But he was one of the leaders of this of our group. He said, "We're not here to talk." And I said, "Are you serious? We're not here to talk to people. We're not here to share Jesus with people." Well, it's not the time for that. Well, I'm sorry. I think it's all the time is the time for that. If God presents you the opportunity and you say, "Oh God, it's it's not four o'clock yet. I still got some other things to do." At that point, you're you're going. You're kind of got this Mary Martha mentality. I got to make sure I do this before I sit at the feet of Jesus and and listen to what He has to say, or before I tell somebody about Jesus. I better make sure that that I've got I've got those boards cut, um, those divine interruptions, right? That's what you've called them. So, God, again, coming back to what He was saying, God comes in the midst of our lowliness. So, at one level. We are all lowly, right? Mm-hmm. We are all um, unworthy. We're all undeserving of, of God's attention at all. But we have pretensions. So what are some of the pretensions we have? It causes God to bypass us. I'm educated. I'm cultured. I'm, yeah. I went to Michigan. Went to Michigan. Not much to say for about that, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, So I would just slightly modify that to say God goes in the midst of those people who recognize their lowliness. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that they embrace their lowliness. I mean, the rest of society has beat it into them that they are uh, lowly, unworthy. and, uh, And so what were the disciples like? None of them were qualified. None of them. Uh, well, in a sense, they were qualified. Well, Jesus qualified. Right, that's, but what, in I mean. and of themselves, so that's what I mean. They were. They had no credentials. Right. Yes. So they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were. They were people that society was like. Eh. Either they. I mean, some like some like like Matthew, mm-hmm. <laughs> Levi, right? This tax collector, like y- you were h- hated in this community. And yet Jesus goes to him yeah. and calls him to follow him. Um, fishermen, kind of the same thing. Um, not, I would say, no, they weren't hated, but um, by no means special. It wasn't a luxurious job. Um, I, I mean, I would love to spend all day fishing, but <laughs> but it's not going to bring you a lot of. It's not going to well, bring yeah, in a lot of money. Probably wouldn't um, enjoy it as much in the way they fish. Right, it's hard work. Right, yeah, you're not you're not going out throwing your uh, throwing your pole over and cracking a yeah, beer, dragging some big <laughs> right. big wet nasty net. Around. Right. So I'm, what I'm just trying to say is Jesus chose the disciples. Uh, well, the the pattern, the the historical pattern, rabbi the disciple pattern was the disciple applied to the rabbi and then he was uh, evaluated for his uh, uh, learning etc 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 to see if he was qualified enough to be come this rabbi's disciple and then uh, if he were then off and running but Jesus goes the other way doesn't mm-hmm. he? he reaches down to the lowly and snatches them out of their uh, mundane everyday life and in the same way he snatches Mary out of her what would have been her everyday unremarkable uh, Bonhoeffer talks about it like this Mary as a tough devout ordinary working man's wife well she wasn't quite married yet but right but he snatched her reached down snatched her out of that and into his will and he gives credit to her 
not, not God, but Bonhoeffer gives credit to her, in that she was willing to say to God, do with me according to your mm -hmm. word. Well, those are words that are well, they're easy to say but hard to uh, live up to, right? Yeah. Here I am, God. Use me however you want. But I do have a few restrictions. Right, yeah, but make, <laughs> but make sure, yeah, make sure, make sure that uh, that I don't get too uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, well, that reminds that reminds me of. I mean, it's it's literally in the story before um, the angel appears to Mary, and it's when the same angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, and Zechariah looks at the angel and and he says, "Well, how will I know this?" Compared to how, what Mary's response is, is how will this be? Mary. Mary knows and has faith that it's going to happen, whereas Zechariah is like, hey, I've been praying this prayer for a really, really, really long time, uh, and now you're telling me that it's going to happen. How do I know that this is legit? Or why should I believe you? Right, why should I believe you? This You haven't heard my prayer for, or you haven't answered me in, in years. Um, you waited till it was too late. Right, and uh, it was funny because Alex was... Uh, Alex was talking to me. I don't know if you if you heard him, but he's like the funniest part about this text is that Zechariah was probably praying his the prayer for for he and Elizabeth, you know, with along with the prayers of the people, and he so he prays for the for the kid for his son, and then the angel appears and says, "Okay, it's going to happen." <laughs> like, God, please give me a son. Okay, no, you're not going to you're not going to do that. Show me, prove it to me. Like, even you just prayed for it. God says yes, and now you're doubting God. Um, so you've got you got that, and then you've got Mary, who doesn't doubt. She wants to know. Okay, she believes that it's going to happen, but says, "How is it going to happen?" She has to buy a logical question. Right. I believe that it's going to happen, but tell me how it's going to happen because I'm a virgin. Mm -hmm. I said biology. Yeah, and um, so that's an example of of that great reversal again. So Zachariah is the one who should have been most likely to believe. He was right. trained. Yeah. In the temple, in the yeah. holy place. Probably had the Old Testament scriptures memorized. Yeah. Knew all the examples of women in the Old Testament mm -hmm. to whom uh, unexpected pregnancies happened. Yep. And he's, he can't believe. He just can't believe. And then the untrained and, uh, in, and in this culture I would say uneducated woman, mm -hmm. she has no problem believing. Right. Yeah, so that's a reversal. So he says something here that's a little rough. Uh, this is 118, last paragraph. If we want to be part of this event of Advent and Christmas, we cannot just sit there like a theater audience and enjoy all the lovely mm. pictures. <laughs> and I would add, and the music, yeah. and the slideshows, and the uplifting sermons, and the little children's choir. Well, yep. not in COVID, but the little well, right. children's choirs and uh, uh, all the things. We are rather passive as far as Christmas and uh, Advent, mm -hmm. um, observing but not participating. But I think Dietrich's calling us to see the revolutionary nature of what's happening and then to become part of that revolution. Well, I think, I think too, um, and actually, I'm going to, I'm going to tread lightly here. Um, I, I think that the church has not done Christmas any favors. Um, the, what the, the revolutionary Christmas as Bonhoeffer is talking about here. Um, we, we, we talk about, yeah, Jesus came in the manger and he came ultimately to go to the cross and die. And the sermon that we heard today um, was about was Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus swallowing up death, right? And this is why he came. But we don't we don't talk about that part typically, and we glorify. I I, I was talking with a, another friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine. I know you're making fun of me last week about all of my pastor friends, um, mm -hmm. but I was talking with him and I said I we've gotten to a point in my opinion where the church has begun not to worship the baby in the manger, but we've worshiped Christmas as a whole, or we've worshiped Advent, or we've we've worshiped all of the things around. And then I got I told him, I was like, for crying out loud, like your altar has Christmas trees two feet from the altar. Mm -hmm. And and I know and then his wife 
James, well, that's how we've always done it. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's how you've always done it. And that's why, that's why we have, we've adopted this culture of worshiping the season of Christmas. We've worshiped the, you know, the, we made sure that, that we have that we have the Christmas program every year, except for 2020. We made sure that we make sure that we have the bake sale, that we have the the Christmas blessings, that we have, you know, gifts for all God's children, that we have all these all of these things. We make sh- and then because of all of that, what ends up what ends up happening, not on purpose, but what ends up happening nonetheless, is that you put all of you're putting all of these things around around the manger. And it comes to the point where there's so many things in front of the manger and around the manger that you forget who's in the manger and you can't really see who's in the manger. And your your vision is is impaired because you've got all these Christmas trees in your way. And and like it's like, yeah, like we know that he's there, but we can't see him clearly. And I and, and you forget who that is. Like that's that's God incarnate. This is God in the flesh. Who has come to become just like you, who has come into your mess, who has come into your lowliness, who um, he's come to, what, is he, what does Bonhoeffer say? He says that he draws near to the lowly and loving the lost, the unnoticed, the unremarkable, the excluded, the powerless, and the broken. God, God has come to that. He's become all of that. And unfortunately, all of these things happen to get lost in Christmas. And it, it's, not, it's not intentional, but it happens nonetheless. And and that's why I love Bonhoeffer's language here about this revolution, because this ultimately, you know, everything that Jesus ever did for humanity, it begins here. Well, I got other than creation, I suppose, mm-hmm. and the times where he appeared in the Old Testament. But you know what I'm saying. But he also says, uh, and I'm kind of wrapping a couple of his sentences together, but you or I, when we're uh, uh, gazing into the manger, do we see what's really there? Not who is there, but what is really there. And it's the judgment and redemption of the world. Mm-hmm. And then he says, each of us, uh, depending on how we come to the Christ manger, will either leave judged or redeemed. And then he says, just stringing these thoughts again together, he says, I think sarcastically, he says something like, go on, continue to celebrate Advent and Christmas in the same pagan way you always have <laughs> as an onlooker. Yeah. Not a participant, but an onlooker. So what does all that say to you? <laughs> um, Do you look in the manger and see the little porcelain baby and think, there's my redemption or well, my or worse, my judgment. Right, yeah. This is this is the this is and when you're looking to the manger, this is either the this is the person that is either going to uh, when he comes back on Judgment Day, he is either going to put me in <laughs> in the sheep or the goats. Or yeah, the goats. We keep coming back. Like to that. you are either you. This is the one. This is this is the God. This is the one who is going to yeah either either um, how did he say it? that's either going to redeem you or is either going to judge you mm. um, or well he's guys he's going to judge you no matter what but it's tough how he's going to judge you is he going to are you go, is he going to see you righteous because of the faith that you have received or is he going to judge you because your vision has become so clouded that when he gives you the that when he gives you the the that that faith that believing and that saving faith that you let it slip through your hands because you've got your your hands are full of so many other things it was on to say um again 119 towards the bottom Mm -hmm. there are two places where the rich and the great might say billionaires, um, <laughs> where their courage fails them, places that terrify them to the depths of their soul, in which they dearly avoid. Um, and then the two are, the first, uh, the second one was obvious, but the first is, these are the manger and the cross of Jesus Christ. One could say it's the incarnation, mm-hmm. right? And the crucifixion of Christ that, uh, are terrifying because what do they mean? Um, we contemplate them in all their uh, truthfulness. It calls calls you to change uh, first to question everything that you hold valuable, and then to fall on your knees, so to speak. Um, and he says, "Here's a revolutionary sentence: No one who holds power dares to come near the manger." Mm, like Herod. Like Herod, yeah. 
Instead, what did he do? He'd say he tried to kill him. Yeah, destroy it. In fact, I mean, ordering for all baby boys to be to be killed. Yeah. No chance. Yeah, well, it, that, as bloody as that is, though, some of the... That's another time, another discussion, but probably the number of baby boys in Bethlehem was not huge. Well, right, yes. It was not 144,000 like some Catholic saints used to say. Right. It was, yeah, it was maybe, that what, five, be a I think it was, it was like maybe five or eight, right? Yeah, I think that's... It could even be a dozen, but yeah. it doesn't matter. The, um, it was too, I mean, even if it, even if it is a dozen, it's a dozen too many. Um, when I, I was listening to a sermon, this reminded me of this, uh, there's a sermon uh, when my wife and I went to um, uh, the church that she teaches at on Sunday. And uh, the guy that was given the message, he said, he compared King Herod to the Grinch that's tried to steal Christmas. <laughs> he was trying to do everything in his power to, to prevent Jesus from coming. And yet Jesus still comes because you can't stop Christmas from coming. So he gives us a challenge here towards the end of the sermon. Um, he says, we need to make clear to ourselves how from now on in the light of the manger, probably in English it would be better translated, in light of the manger, mm -hmm. we are going to think about what is high and what is low in human life. Uh, it's really a call to reject the worldly values and embrace God's values. In the world, what are some of the things that make you a high-value person? Um, money. <laughs> what you wear, uh, what where you went to school. What you drive. Yeah. How, what kind of house you live in, which neighborhood you live in. Yes, which um, trophy wife you have on yeah, your arm. Right. Which, uh, what do you eat regularly? Um, yeah. What kind of, well, even as I'm starting to get more into reading and things, even the, even the books that you, that you may read. Oh, you're reading him. Oh, you're reading her. Oh, how come you're not reading this person? I was, well, even now, uh, how about, how about now? Uh, do you wear a mask? Are you social distancing? Oh, you're going to well, you're, you're going to get church. A public confession not, out of me. Oh, you're not going to church when you where you're going to church when you when you shouldn't be. Um, all there's all these things that that uh, that show your worth and your value, um, and people whether you whatever you do or you don't do or you eat or you don't eat or you live or you don't live, or you wear or you don't wear. Like these are these are stamps that people are putting on you. Okay, this person is worth so much. This person has so much power. This person is this 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 and this. Um, then he goes on to say, there are never more than a few very powerful people. What he's going to say next, I think we've all experienced. But there are many more people with small amounts of power, petty power, who put it into play wherever they can. And whose one thought is, keep climbing higher. Uh, use their little petty power to become more and more important. I can't imagine, I can't think of anybody in 2020 that is using petty power, petty power to become more important. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the great reversal. So he's saying, next he says, God, however, thinks differently. Namely, keep climbing down. Not climbing up, climbing down. Lower down among the lowly and the inconspicuous in self-forgetfulness, or I might say selflessness, and not seeking to be looked at or well-regarded or to be the highest. So that's, a, that's a directional change that he's saying we should adapt because of the, who is in the manger and, uh, and what that means. We should not be, well, it, it reminds us of James, right? Mm -hmm. James and the, when the poor person comes into the synagogue and, yeah, here sit at my feet. Sit at feet, my feet, right. Yeah. If you could, please move over downwind. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the rich person, yeah. Sit over here. Um, so he's advocating a, a, a redirecting our efforts to reach down, just as God reaches down, right? Mm -hmm. um, we should be reaching down to those who are less fortunate or unfortunate or disregarded, forgotten. And then he says, if we do this, that's where we'll meet God. Mm -hmm. Or rather, God meets us. Well, 
that's where we can find. Well, him, we that's where God we is. yeah we meet God there because he is he's there. That's what he's made is is what he's made his living and doing. I'll save the next sentence for the end, but it says the last paragraph. He says, "Who talking to us about the manger, and then who will finally lay down at the manger all power and honor, all high regard, vanity, arrogance, and self-will." Who will take their place among the lowly and let God alone be high? Who will see the glory of God in the lowliness of the child in the manger? Who will say with Mary, the Lord has looked with favor on my lowliness? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That is a great reversal for us as you know, especially us as Americans, to redirect everything in a, in, in a downward direction rather than an upward direction. Mm-hmm. And not many people will understand it when you make that kind of, uh, begin to make that kind of change. When you're reading, when you're reading that, that last statement there in Bonhoeffer's sermon, who, will, who among us will celebrate Christmas rightly, who will finally lay down at the manger all power and honor, um, as you were reading that, I was I had this like vivid picture in my in my mind, um, and I can't believe that I that nobody has painted this picture or photoshopped it on you know on Facebook or whatever. But I had this image of President Trump coming to the manger, of Joe Biden coming to the manger, Governor Whitmer coming to the manger, Bill Gates coming to the manger, Oprah coming to the manger. Um, all of these people that Americans have put, have given power to, whether it's earned or not earned, and or deserved or rightly or, or not, but they're coming to the manger and they're laying all of that down. And and they're they're taking the place, um, taking the place among the lowly, and not touting themselves, not doing anything that is going to 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 pump them up or to as you know Paul talks about in in, in Corinthians and some of his others others being puffed up and, and and putting all of that in the manger because Christ is here. Fortunately I don't think that's going to happen, but it's nice to think about <laughs> it's nice to think about. That's the ideal mm. of I think this is what Bonhoeffer is telling us here. These these rulers, these presidents, these these people have been political power, these people that that have, that have so many that, be, that are well respected by people, they're coming to the manger. Anyway. They're yes, they're making, they're making the uh, the pilgrimage, so to speak, mm. to to the manger, and laying everything down at the feet of Jesus. Well, we can do that, r- rightly or wrongly. So, in what sense could that sound like um, doing? Good works. I am doing all. I am doing all the things that God wants me to do. I'm going to focus on the lowly, and uh, you know, I just like Saint Francis is. You know, he stripped himself of everything. I mean, everything. Everything down to his clothing, mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. We could do that. Um, I'm trying to think. How, we could do that in a godly way, or we could do that in a um, self-glorifying way. Mm-hmm. Look at me. I'm. I'm down here doing these things. <sighs> I'm so much better because I'm down here. Right. Yeah. Um, you should come down here with me. Let me get my phone out, do my selfie, and I'll post about yeah. my. And every, I hope I have hundreds of thousands of followers yeah. watching me. Oh, how come only? How come only thirty people liked my picture of me serving the poor? Yeah. I, I, that's one. Of, sorry, side note. That's one of my biggest pet peeves about Family of God, and I, I never say anything to any volunteers, but. It just I, it bothers me when <laughs> when I see that later later on from people that have posted selfies of them serving other people. Um, like you, at that point, you've almost negated the <laughs> the whole thing. You haven't done it for yourself, or you haven't done it for them. You've done it for you because you want people to see. And maybe that's not the the mentality but it just it grinds my gears sometimes but, it is but sometimes it is and sometimes look at it what is I and did. you don't realize it is yeah but, look know. at what I did how come you're not doing this with me so I saved a sentence here I don't know where we are in time we got about five minutes God is not mocked he says Galatians uh, Galatians 
it does not escape God's notice that we celebrate Christmas from year to year without taking it seriously. And we can count on God's word, as in Galatians 6. Mm -hmm. um, what's he talking about there, that we celebrate Christmas in an unserious way? Well, I think it's what we've been talking about before. It's you've taken you've taken all of the the things from christmas you've uh you've kind of um yeah isolated the different parts of christmas you've you've extracted that was the word i was looking for you've extracted all of the the things about christmas that you like that you that bring you joy and happiness that um that america the world tells you that christmas is about um all the things that aren't offensive and and you you celebrate it for what how you should quote unquote should celebrate it and not for what you why you actually should celebrate it that would be my answer yeah, well i think yeah it's you're not taking christmas seriously if you're gazing into the manger and saying oh how sweet because mm. it's yeah, on a superficial level, there's a sweet little baby in there. Sure. But that's not what it's about yeah, at all. Babies are fun. You, know, you should be looking at that child saying, um, he's my savior, or in fear saying, he's... He's my judge. He's my judge, yeah. And I'm going to have to face him, and I won't have any... <laughs> I won't have anything like to yeah, stand on for real. when the time comes. It should be a moment of like he said, judgment or redemption, mm -hmm. just as um, the reason Christ came. And he's not in that manger, as, uh, like John 3 says. He didn't come into the manger to condemn the world, but to save it. To save it. But here we are, and we will condemn ourselves if we don't see and accept the Word of God and the faith that's been implanted in us but just look at this as a quaint little cultural thing that we Americans do or Germans do or English do or whatever um, and uh, hurry home to our um, turkey and ham and uh, oh yeah we can't do that this year <laughs> yeah uh, yeah Governor Whitmer's going to announce that later on today so, so. Uh, but Christmas is not about family sorry Christmas is not about tradition mm -hmm. sorry Ultimately, I think Dietrich is saying those things are camouflaged, they obscure what the real purpose right. of Christmas is, the real manger, and the real truth. Yeah, and that real truth is that God loves the lowly. Uh, we talked about, again, we talk, mentioned this last night. God does his best work <laughs> with nothing. God does his best work with the lowly. He does his best work with the insignificant. Um, and I love this. Maybe this is where we, this is where we, where we end. And maybe you can respond, Pastor Hill. Um, I love what Luther says in his commentary about the Magnificat. I'm just going to read it verbatim. I just pulled it off the shelf here. But he says, as far as as far as God looking down on us, he says, for since He is the Most High, and there is nothing above Him, He cannot look above Him, nor yet to either side, for there is none like Him. He must. Therefore, look within him and beneath him. And I love this. And this is what I really want you to remember today because this is, this is what Christmas is. The farther one is beneath him, the better does he see him. So the more lowly, the more insignificant, the more uh, hopeless, the more helpless, the more um, painful, the more suffering, the more whatever it may be for you that you are, the better God sees you because God loves to dwell there. God does his best work there. God loves the lowly, that he became lowly, right? Infant holy, infant lowly, right? That he became... You know that part where you can't sing? Yeah, he became lowly and thus was glorified I think in that's that. probably metaphorically true just have to rem remember that the same Jesus is God and he sees each of us just exactly as we are mm -hmm. um, so but we throw up camouflage and 
in that metaphorical sense, yeah. We hide our real self from God when, uh, yeah, as we know from family of God, when you get down low enough, there's no pretension of hiding from Right. <laughs> Right. They know exactly what they are, but they also, m- more often than not, don't believe that uh, the God who is looking at them just as they are actually cares about yeah. them. And that's probably the heart of what, and the hardest thing that we have to do at Family of God. Yeah, for sure. But fear not, because uh, he says to Mary, fear Fear not, for you have found favor with God. Um, because of Christ, we have found favor with God. For the sake of Christ, we have been redeemed. And the baby that is in the manger, he is our redeemer. He is our hope. And for that, our soul magnifies the Lord with Mary. So I think that about wraps it up for this week. Um, next week is Christmas. Uh, I think we've got a lot going on next week, so we may or may not have an episode for you. Kind of depends on how the week goes. I'm pretty um, sure I'll have an episode, but it may well, not be. <laughs> yeah, it might not be that kind of an episode. Um, but anyway, if we don't happen to have an episode, we pray that all of you have a have a blessed, have a safe, have a safe Christmas. Um, enjoy, enjoy the enjoy it. Um, but remember that Christmas is while maybe it's become about holiday traditions and family ultimately that's not what christmas is so if you are not able to see your family if you are not able to celebrate in the way that you typically have that's okay because nothing can stop christmas from coming so have a great week everybody if no one's told you yet god loves you and so do we take care Jesus Teacher Can Me is a Family of God Lutheran Church podcast. We are supported by a number of different congregations throughout the state of Michigan. We are so grateful for all of you that support the podcast, support the ministry. Uh, Thank you for all that you guys do. We cannot do what we do without you. We hope that you have a great week, have a great Christmas, and we will talk with you all very, very soon. Take care.